Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, as it always has been, and I am joined by my co-host, <laughs> Dixie Cochran. Hi. And Eddie Webb. Hello. Uh, recording immediately after the last one to shatter any illusions you have about a weekly schedule. Uh, well, how are you both? Last ep- <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last episode, but I mean, given the current situation, I mean, the, we're, we're not great about not dating episodes anyway, but in this particular case, it does make sense to actually date them. So, you know, the environment we're recording in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, um, completely. But yeah, asking how you both are, given that you, I only asked that of you about an hour ago. How have you been the last hour? I've been having a great time talking to y'all, so you know, feeling a little better even. <laughs> Yay. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm socializing. Mean, except, for the dark, except for the dark things that happened in the 10 minutes you cut out that we're not going to talk about anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes, uh, very rarely, um, if things don't go to plan... We start to, well. We, we're always improvising, but sometimes improvisation goes wrong. In fact, that needs to be one of those shows on the History Channel, doesn't it? When improvisation goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that time, Colin Mockery uh, stabbed Ryan Stiles or something. <laughs> it was supposed to be a prop knife. Did I that I saw Colin Mockery live at one point? No, you didn't. Um, he was uh, in Atlanta, actually, at a local improv theater, and so they did imp- imp- improvisational D&D with Colin Mockery playing uh, a cleric. That's wonderful. And it was so clear he had no idea what D&D was. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was amazing. I, I listened to uh, Harmontown for its, its entire several-year run, which is Dan, Dan Harmon's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they did for the first couple years they did it pretty much every show was they did D&D and it was very clear that by the time they got around to D&D every episode they had all been drinking for an hour and a half and uh, <laughs> no one knew how to play D&D um, <laughs> aside from their very put upon dungeon master Spencer um, and so like they would have people like you know Kumail Nanjiani and like just all all kinds of folks uh jeff jeff davis from whose line is one of the regulars on harmontown so he he played a nice. lot and it was the most ridiculous D, but it was really fun they actually did a, a an animated show called harmon quests where it cuts between animation of what they're doing and them actually playing if you ever want to just watch them play D, because hmm, uh, nice. it's it's really really funny and i recommend it oh, no, that, 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 does, that does sound very good uh, i've never i've never seen um Colin Mockery, uh, although I've been to the Comedy Store in London many times for the Comedy Store players that started Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh, so mm. most of the original cast still perform there every single weekend when there's not a nationwide lockdown in force, again, dating right. the episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's always fantastic because, of course, with improvisation, it's going to be a different show every single time you attend. and um, the majority of the cast perform every Wednesday night and every Sunday night, and it's something I recommend. Anyone visiting London when times are better, uh, do go to the comedy store, because uh, even coming out of something like this, live entertainers, comedians, um, especially, in fact, because... They can't depend on the sales of CD. Well, no, no one depends on the sales of CDs anymore. Um, <laughs> but the sale of pre-recorded material as much as musicians, although obviously support them too. Um, stand-up comics and other such performers would benefit greatly from your 
patronage, I am sure, once uh, all of this is over, and even now, if you can. Yeah, most of the podcasters mm-hmm. I listen to are from the LA comedy scene, mm. uh, just because that's where all of the podcasts I listen to are based. And yeah, they're they're talking about how they're they're struggling. Like everyone's canceled all their tours. Um, a lot of the guys from the original Who's line still do a tour pretty frequently called Who's Live Anyway. Yeah. Um, and it, it it tours the U.S. every year pretty much. And it's like Greg Proops, Ryan Stiles, uh, Jeff Davis, who I just mentioned, who I, I love. I'm a big fan of his. Um, and they're really, really fun to go see. I've been meaning to get tickets for a long time. I've seen lots of clips and heard them talk about it. And I'm always like, I want to go. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, but all the things I had tickets for in the next month or so are already canceled. So. <laughs> well, you, you kind of have to hope that once everything is safe, uh, that there is going to be a certain amount of exuberant going out and see, doing live things. Um, no, totally. Again, providing it's safe to do so and not just reckless. And uh, yeah, because I imagine, again, supports, cash injections are the kinds of things that live entertainers are desperately going to need at this time. Some of them have taken to online uh, to doing st- live streams, mm-hmm. but you, I've got to imagine that they aren't uh, getting quite as much uh, support as they usually would. Uh, uh, probably not. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I say this, I, I'm sure there will be at least one person listening thinking, uh, you know, what about me? My career is impacted as well. It's far more essential than a stand-up comic. But uh, I, And I know right now there are a hell of a lot of people impacted by this. So we just got to support each other uh, however we can, the best we can. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but uh, I certainly don't intend to be grim about it. I think uh, one of the best things that's coming out of all of this situation is how much support people are showing for each other right now. And online mm-hmm. communities, podcasts like this one and many others, and live streams like the ones we do on our Twitch channel. Uh, we've got so many games being played right now, and more people are actually moving over to the Twitch channel because it's giving them a gaming fix. So yeah. uh, we're not concerned about numbers, but we are concerned about providing you with entertainment and a bit of distraction so we're glad that we can do that Uh, absolutely so yeah take advantage of the fact that we're providing you with free entertainment because uh a lot of people could certainly (laughs) use it right now yeah definitely uh and speaking of which we aim to be entertaining as well uh i know it's uh do we (laughs) (laughs) do we aim to do anything really this podcast (laughs) I assumed if if we have like you know some projects when you get a bit corporate will have pillars or they'll have um, what would they what would they be called Eddie you've got the the sort of what would it be the vocabulary of this kind of thing oh you're talking about like uh, these are these are the the core key d- dynamics that you know fundamentally undermine our project to make sure that they're utilize every single infrastructure yeah the fact that you've used words like dynamic utilization and infrastructure right, right. Is... <laughs> I, I actually ran out of hyperbole like in the middle of that so I'm kind of derailed uh, I, I hope that our first one is in, in is to entertain and our second one is to inform I think those are fair our third one Although... is to construct additional pylons <laughs> <laughs> We had a resting pile on, but it fell over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I suspect sabotage, Eddie. I'm not pointing <laughs> fingers, but I think it may have been <laughs> our other co-host. It's fine. Yeah, it it's fine. fine. It's fine. Uh, so, 
uh, last we spoke, uh, we got as far as uh, Monarchies of Mao in our mm-hmm. five-minute pitches, and mm-hmm. that meant that our next one was going to be Adventure with yes. the wonderful exclamation mark at the end. And I have to say that, as you know, games that have exclamation marks or exclamation points, as uh, many Americans say, uh, at the end are very appealing to me to the point that <laughs> I uh, I prefer the Stormbringer role-playing game that's just called Elric with an exclamation mark <laughs> than Stormbringer, which is demonstrably better, uh, mechanically speaking. But the fact that Elric came with a GM screen and across it was just Elric <laughs> exclamation mark really... <laughs> Um, it was kind of a Dennis sort of thing. Damn you, Elric! Yeah, uh, <laughs> which I think all of his companions say at one point or other. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so on to adventure. I better get my uh, digital stopwatch open. So you look at us embracing that. the 21st century. Adventure. Yeah, I will mention that um, uh, this was asked for by Grash on Twitter. So thank you, Grash, for that. Grash. Grash. That's fun to say. Uh, at is. Grash Uritza. Or Uriza. We don't know. Yeah, we, we just don't know. That's the thing, listeners. We just don't know. We have to make <laughs> our best guess. And <laughs> in three, two, one. So, uh, Training Continuum Adventure is another part of the Training Continuum that is in progress of being written. Um, Last time I talked about uh, how Aberrant is kind of in the near future of the Training Continuum. Adventure is in the less recent past, um, specifically in the 1930s. Uh, this is the second edition, again, of a previous game, and the original adventure was actually set in the early 20s, 1922, I want to say. Um, and it was set like right at the beginning foundation of the Aeon Society. And if that sounds familiar, it's because the Aeon Society is an organization that's existed through every permutation of the Trinity Continuum thus far. It's been in, it's going to be an adventure, it's been in the core Trinity book, it's going to be an aberrant, and it's also actually in uh, Aeon. So this is when it first forms. Um, uh, Venture Second Edition is actually going to be about 10 years after that, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them was we wanted to talk about um, how the world has changed and evolved in the 10 years since it was formed. We thought there was a little more room if the Ant Society has been around and established for a bit, uh, and it allows us to do things like talk about some past adventures of Max Mercer and his group. Uh, so we talk about things that have happened in, a little bit in the past, again, also... Um, update things, timelines, whereas the other two games were kind of reinventions or, or reimagining of the previous games. This one, we could do, it could do first edition as a little more like it was the past history of second edition. So it allows us to play with that a bit. Uh, but the other one is much more fundamental in the fact that um, when the first edition of Metric came out, uh, it was really meant to be a game where punching Nazis was seen as passe and boring. Um, things have changed in that regard, I will say culture one. <laughs> Um, and a little so bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So we thought that punching at least proto Nazis would be something that people want to play in a game like this. So moving it up to the mid '30s actually gives us a chance to, you know, the, the Nazis are around, but they're not quite into full blown World War II yet. Um, so we still have some range to play within that kind of between the World Wars era, which is fun. Um, and also talk about some of the the cultural changes that happened between the twenties and thirties. But also, there's genuinely a, a guy who has a Zeppelin army of Nazis, so you could punch him as a guy in the game. Yes! 
Can I punch a Zeppelin? You can punch a Zeppelin. It may not Zeppelin may not really react much to that, but you can. Yeah, it's probably got scale above me. It has lots of scale. Um, uh, so uh, uh, unlike um, the previous games, it doesn't. We don't focus on just one archetype. Uh, like in Trinity Core, we focus on talents. In Aberrant, we focus on novas. In Aeon, we focus on scions. Not to be confused with scion. Um, whereas with Adventure, we actually have three different archetypes, and they're all kind of the proto versions of those events. So um, we have uh, Daredevils, which are kind of proto talented. Um, we have uh, the Mesmerists, which are kind of proto scions. Um, and then we have a third one, which name currently escapes me, uh, which are the proto novas. Um, Steve. The Steve. Yes, we play Steve. But one of the things we also are going to do with it is that they're not going to be. Um, Rewrite not, not gonna be those same mechanics all over again. So it's not you're not gonna get like uh, a ten thousand word chapter on how to make Nova characters. You're not gonna get a, a five thousand word chapter on how to make Scion characters. We're gonna do characters that are emulating those kinds of things. So if uh, because adventure is meant to be a little more kind of low powered, this is the start of the inspired era in a lot of ways. Um, so the idea these are pulp superheroes. These are before superheroes can come out. So like they're the pulp characters then they were a little more grounded than the characters we recognize now as superheroes so we want to kind of emulate that by making the characters a little more kind of, of down to earth from a, a wide game perspective but they're still going to be iconic and impressive in their own timeline um so you're still going to have the power to to mesmerize people the power to to see people's sins um you know you still be able to do amazing daring do uh but also you know we're gonna talk about things that are fun in this secret time period like you're an amazing flying ace um and then a set of powers and abilities in terms of how you use aircraft which are far beyond human ken at that time period um mm -hmm. so we're definitely gonna be playing around with that one of um, we're also going to look at um uh uh Again, it's kind of the back history to a degree of the Trinity Continuum. So it's like you're going to see things that we've mentioned and referenced in the previous books. Um, we're not going to see kind of their genesis here. In particular, you're going to see um, uh, Max Mercer um, because he's a, a character that shows up in all the different games. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because he's a time traveler. Um, and so you're going to start to see kind of the seeds of that. And also because we're now making these games in a distinct order, um, Max... Uh, in the previous games, it was kind of implied that he traveled forward but didn't really travel backwards. But then he died. He got shot. What was that? What was that sound? Uh, it was a gunshot, and it was only after I clicked it that I realized how grim that sound is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you just killed Eddie. I, I don't know. It wasn't an indictment of uh, your explanation. I didn't just take the gun out of my desk like a uh, disgraced police, uh, not police, uh, prison governor like in Shawshank Redemption. No, actually, so that's fine. What happened was Max Mercer jumped back right before you shot me and saved me, so it's okay. Uh, there nice. we go. <laughs> I have, I have a couple of questions about this one, now that sure. we're in our wrap-up period. Yeah. Uh, one, can you play the Rocketeer in this game? I believe you can, yeah. Because I, I you... desperately want to play the Rocketeer. Uh, um, I mean, I have, we're still in the process. This is like in the red line stage, so we're still early stages. Um, this is one of those games where it's, it's, things are malleable. Yeah. Um, but the Rocketeer is definitely one of the kind of points, and I believe jetpacks were discussed at one point. So I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Excellent. And second... Um, I, I remember doing early talks of this. Wasn't one of the other reasons that we shifted it to the 30s uh, was to get rid of some of the inherent sexism that occasionally pops up in noir? Uh, that is a good point, yes. Um, uh, that's one thing that we did talk about is that um, uh, 
because there's more um, the sexual revolutions more in swing at this point in time. You know, things like women getting the vote has happens or is, is further along. So yeah, we can start to, to pull that back. But also, um, we came to the kind of agreement that we're just gonna we're gonna address that those are things that are real. Same like things like uh, racism. Those are things that we're gonna they're gonna be relevant to it. Um, but mm-hmm. also, one of the main characters is um, a. a uh, a black woman is she's a detective um so i mean you know we're these we're, we're going to kind of recognize that they're there and we're gonna make sure people can play with as much as little as they want to but also we're just kind of cool inclusive characters because it's cool to have those characters in there and they're just going to be cool and awesome totally and see that's that's exciting to me because one of the reasons i tend to not be a big fan of noir in general is just because i, I don't like the attitudes of some of the male protagonists granted it is subverted in a lot of media which is great Right. Um, but there's also just even if they subvert it, I just get kind of cringy when I hear the way that they like describe women mm. in some of sure. those games. And I'm like, eh, even if she's competent, like I'm not sure that I like how male gazy everything happens to be. Um, but I did grow up liking things like The Racketeer and Dick Tracy and stuff like that. So, right, I kind and, of and like I, the I more think... fun version of noir than the like classic version. Yeah, and and I think that's kind of the key point is that um uh, uh, noir is is more actually the 40s um and, it, and that's right. kind of men coming to terms with the fact that women now have sexual agency. This is right before that where it's like okay I, I guess she could punch a guy so that's cool. Um but yeah Dick Tracy I think is probably from a movie perspective is definitely kind of another kind of good touchstone tonally for going for for adventure. Awesome. Hmm. The Dick Tracy movie is actually actually really fun. I, I actually watched it again, but I mean, it was a surprisingly fun film that yeah. most people don't think about. I guess like I wasn't into adventure at first, and the more we talked about it and like brought Danielle on board and stuff, the more I was like, oh, okay, now mm-hmm. now I'm into it. Yeah. Well, that's adventure done, and I think we went a bit over the five minutes with those uh, follow up questions. So I hope that's that's why we did a second episode is because we were talking more between them. <laughs> yeah, it's just we're... if I didn't talk between them, then that wouldn't well, then we'd have a twenty minute episode right now. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? As far as elevator pitches go, we have followed the executive out of the elevator all the way to his office, and we're now hammering <laughs> on the window and still pitching our game to them through the window. It's like, and by the way, you can punch a zeppelin. Yeah, see, you don't understand what's happening in this scenario. One of us is giving the elevator pitch, the, the other two are the executives, and by the end of the five minutes, we are interested and want to know more. Oh, uh, okay. Because the elevator uh, pitch worked. Ah, I see. So it isn't like Eddie just carries on uh, ignoring the gunshot sound effect as, I'm not finished! You'll hear well, me. I was the one that asked questions. Yes, right, this true. is the executive leaning forward, her hand steepled, going, so tell me about punching Zeppelins more, please. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, okay, okay, I like the visuals. That helps me understand. Uh, so now I have the unenviable task of uh, talking about Mage the Ascension within five minutes. And Victorian Age Mage. And Victorian Age Mage. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we want to throw in there? Let's do Ask Magica as well. well sure, yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, please read the Exalted 3 Core. <laughs> uh, okay, so in three, two, one. 
Mage of the Ascension is the third game in the World of Darkness. Uh, it was, of course, initially created in the early 90s and uh, has reached its 20th anniversary edition, which came out a handful of years ago in a beautiful, epic purple form. Uh, since that time, lots of new people have been getting into Mage, and due to the success of the Kickstarter and, frankly, the success of the sales, support of the fan base, and the sheer number of people who uh, have well, come out as massive fans of Mage of the Ascension, we have been compelled to make further books in the line, not limited to Victorian Age Mage. Now, if you're f unfamiliar with Mage of the Ascension, one of the best ways I can put it is that your character uh, possesses a spark, an avatar, a, a being of power within them that enables them to manipulate reality. Uh, they manipulate reality via these elements known as the spheres, and spheres are everything from life to uh, all kinds of uh, energies, uh, emotions, and so on. They are the spheres that make up the reality around us. And each of the traditions of mages, which are effectively your clans or your tribes, but are groups of mages organized into different fashions, uh, prefer use of certain spheres or have a certain idea of how reality should bend to their will. But there's a problem. Reality doesn't just want to bend to the will of mages. In fact, reality has a way of springing back into place if you bend it too far. And that is called paradox. So, mages must act discreetly, subtly. They must use their magic in a way that the people around them are not going to stare at them in disbelief. Because if they do, if they do hurl a fireball from their bare hands and cannot in any way justify it to the universe, the universe may well contract and gobble them up or otherwise change them immeasurably. Uh, there's an opposition force in Mage the Ascension known as the Technocracy. They want consensus. They want everyone to be believing the exact same thing. And they don't want any of these ripples of paradox. They don't want the traditions of mages to get all creative with their energy of how they want to alter reality. And so they want humankind to become as one, a massive sleeper, a sleeping force that will never again wake up to the wonders of magic. Does that make the technocrats villains, or does it just make them a form of misguided hero because they're trying to protect humanity from magic? That is for you as the storyteller and players to decide. Uh, we also have... We also have antagonistic factions in Mage the Ascension, such as the Marauders, who are mages that have let the magic get to their mind and uh, they will never recover their humanity for all intents and purposes. They are wild mages. And you have the Nefandi, who use magic purely for self-elevation and for all manner of corrupt and nasty purposes. That is to put it incredibly mildly, because the Nefandi can be awful, awful customers. Uh, you can find out more about the Nefandi in of the Fallen, you can find out more about the Technocracy in the upcoming Technocracy Reloaded. But what we have here coming up soon is Victorian Age Mage, which sets Mage the Ascension in the unexplored 19th century. We've never covered the 19th century in Mage before, and it is a fantastic tipping point for Mage. The team behind this book have done such a wonderful job of bringing the 19th century to life uh, in a way that doesn't feel all... Uh, I guess, fictional and steampunk. Instead, it mm. works within the reality of our world and within history to explain how mages might have fit in, how they might have struggled, and how they might have excelled. 
to the point that it's incredibly empowering to be a mage in this era you just because uh, to follow on from the point from adventure in fact just because you are a woman in the 19th century or you are maybe an ethnic or cultural minority in the 19th century in let's say a country such as britain or america doesn't mean you are in any way weak or downtrodden on the contrary you possess gifts that the vast majority of people don't so yeah by all means use that magic to empower yourself and the people around you and change the way people think uh, it's a game that is fit for exploring. Uh, the 19th century was still a century where people were exploring all kinds of parts of the world, and mages can do that thing whilst also exploring technology and the way that they can use magic to interfere with it and manipulate it and better it, and also all kinds of hidden mysticism that they didn't understand before. Uh, I think that tonally, Victorian Age Mage is absolutely wonderful. And... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never That's, know. That's uh, uh, wow. Wow, wow, mages. <clears throat> um, I've, I do have a little bit to add about Victorian Age okay. Mage, which was requested by uh, Pido Phil uh, at Giltonio on Twitter, and uh, Mage the Ascension Twentieth. <laughs> <laughs> requested by Yasmin Neitzel at the worst RPG. Thank you, Eddie. Purple <laughs> square Eddie for me. The worst <laughs> RPG. That's great. Um, the Mage is without shadow of a doubt a complex RPG if you take it at face value. There is sure. so many working parts, so many factions in place, so many powers you can use. And I didn't even get into the way powers work and the way you basically construct spells yourself as players. There isn't a big spell book in Mage the Ascension. You combine spheres to create magic. And that kind of creative energy can be difficult for some players who just want to ease in and play mm -hmm. games as written. Um, but the team behind Victorian Age Mage have done so much to make that era and magic of that time so comprehensive, so accessible, and I'm just really impressed with the final drafts that have arrived. It's a book that's been through a lot of iterations now, both with writing and development teams and also through drafts, because we just couldn't get it right uh but we have now and i'm so glad to see it reach the stage that it's currently at uh, i'm very proud of the team for making it past uh the finishing line of final drafts and that's now in development uh, yay yeah uh it's it's taken a long time to get there but it is finally there indeed so in my case, because you weren't asking me the question, I was the person hammering on the executive's window yes. as he was as he was saying, security, security, get this man out of my office. It's like, no, just just one more thing, please. Just one more. <laughs> I haven't told you about... Uh, what well, haven't I told them about? I haven't told you about... Leave me Order of Hermes! <laughs> but why, wait, the trim here, the trim here. <laughs> Uh, so, Deviant the Renegade, Stixie, you happy to uh, start in three seconds? I mean, happy is a bit of a... Okay, happy about it, you're jubilant uh, in, <laughs> in three, two, one. Yeah, so I've talked about Deviant the Renegades before, uh, what I think is super cool about it is how much it expands on kind of the toolbox nature of Chronicles of Darkness. Um, with all the variants and scars that we have in there, you can play as just about anything. So the story of Deviant is that you have been 
either taken or you have volunteered for some kind of change. Uh, sometimes it's just a genetic thing, like maybe your parents were deviants and so you are also a deviant. Um, but this is the game that we have that is most similar to some kind of dark X-Men. Eddie, you're more of a comp person than I am, so I don't know what dark X-Men would be. Good, but... Uh, 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 dark X-Men? I mean, X-Men are pretty dark, honestly, but yes. Well, true, true, true. Um, <laughs> so you have a, a, a huge range of power sets you have access to in Deviant. Um, generally, your biggest antagonist is going to be fighting against the conspiracies that made you, whether that's like a shadowy government agency or a back alley, you know, scientist of some sort. Um, generally, it is larger groups you're fighting against. Uh, the reason that Deviant is a, it's not a superhero game is because all of your variations and powers also give you things called scars. Um, so the more powerful you are, the more it sucks to be you slash use your powers. Um, I always think a really good example is someone like the better done versions of the Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. where the more powerful he gets, at, at, at first at least, obviously he's been through a million iterations, but he kind of loses his humanity mm-hmm. when he becomes really powerful. Um, obviously, that's not every Hulk, but kind of the original Hulk. <laughs> right. Um, so any any kind of superhero character, uh, think about like Dark Phoenix, um, where you know when when Jean Grey gets ultimately powerful, she is not really a person anymore at that point, and it hurts a lot. Also, uh, so like that's... Jekyll and Hyde too is non superhero. Yes. Character, but, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We have we've done tons and tons of of characters with this. You can make Buffy with this. You can do Akira with this. There's a list of like seventy fictional characters that we wanted to see if we could do with this game and we can um i just lean on superheroes because that's generally where you see a a range of powers coming together as a team i guess um but but really you can do all kinds of characters with this um there are a bunch of different origins so um you have your autoergic who are the ones who volunteered like they want to do this they are your your deadpools kind of um, you know, uh, well, not really, because he breaks from it. But you know, there, are, it's it, it's Captain America, but dark. <laughs> um, and then there's volunteers uh, who are like taken. They're doing it for some secondary goal, kind of. Uh, there's your genotypals who get it from their parents, but uh, pathologicals who like that's your you know oh they fell into a vat of acid, and now they're this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a bunch of different clades, and that's kind of how the the deviant. The deviance affects you. So you have your cephalists, you have like psychic power, chimerics, who are combined with human and other species. It can be animal, plants, whatever. Um, that's that's your your poison ivies, your you know saber tooths, etc. Uh, your coactives have kind of a weird power that's going to be like your electricity, your radiation power, light, darkness. Uh, your invasives are cyborgs. So they might have nanotechnology that could also be like a Wolverine type character. And then your mutants uh, kind of rebelled at it. So your body actually changes and that's where you're going to get your like Incredible Hulk, etc. Um, I think this game is amazing just in how much it does as far as different types of characters you can play within the one game. And giving you a really good reason to bring them together and fight against a conspiracy. It's a very punk rock game. I think it's mm-hmm. probably the most punk rock of our games. Yep. Um, also, Eddie wrote the fiction for it, and it's really good. Thank you. But this is definitely a like fight back against the powers that be kind of game, mm. uh, where you're playing anti-hero type characters. Like you are monstrous on some level, much like all of our other games. But it's not so much a society of monsters um, as a you know ragtag group of people who have had something done to them and are mad about it. Um, some deviants do still serve the conspiracies uh, in which they were made. 
they can be bad guys. They can even be working with you on some level to take down something else. There's lots and lots of options for that. But the the, the overall kind of theme of the game is, you know, fuck this, why this happened to me, we have to figure out so it doesn't happen to anybody else kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird because on, on some level, it's one of our more monstrous games as far as how you look and act and stuff. But it's also kind of one of our less monstrous games in terms of the overall theme of the game and fighting back against stuff. Uh, your scars really do suck, though. <laughs> like, I cannot emphasize, em- emphasize em- enough how much that affects the game. Mm-hmm. And that whenever you use your powers, if, if it's a really small power, it might not suck too much. But if it's a really large power, you could <laughs> that that could happen. That could happen. This is gonna keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it... wow. You don't, you just don't know with these that's, buttons that... how long it's that's gonna last. Awesome. I did wonder whether we were gonna go, but we didn't. Yeah, I mean. It's not like you could have tested them beforehand or anything. Uh, I could have, but I only thought to use them about two minutes before we came online. So. <laughs> but yeah, I like Deviant. Do you have any Deviant questions? Hmm. No, but I have a, a more comments. Um, uh, when you said Dark X-Men, I was actually kind of flustered because the X-Men kind of tagline is uh, saving and protecting a world that hates and fears you, which I think is really very deviant. Yeah, true. I think just the overall like feeling of the X-Men is like they are all heroes, you know? They're sure. all colorful and all of their stuff, and so they don't quite feel the way I'd like them to feel. I guess more like Doom Patrol is more what I'm yeah, going fair. for. Uh, which, of course, X-Men ripped off. Um, the something... <laughs> oh, no, I haven't had to be, No, uh, something I'm interested in about Deviant is, uh, who would you position as the primary antagonist? As, would it be the conspiracy that you've escaped from, or is there a different group that you think you're going to run up against more often than not? Um, I think it would probably be conspiracy members, because generally, if you have escaped, they don't want you out there in the world. Mm. They're probably trying to take you back. Um, I think of uh, things like the Initiative and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, that's kind of a very deviant conspiracy type thing. I'm, I have to go off, you know, my own personal touchstones, but that's kind of where I'm going from. Yeah. So, like, when they in 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 season four, spoilers for Buffy from <laughs> 2000. Uh, in season four, when they catch Spike and microchip him, and then he. He, he, he leaves, he, he he escapes. You know, there's a lot of tension that goes on through that whole season about them trying to recapture him mm. uh, because he is an escaped person. Now, granted, they didn't make him the way he was, but it's it's a similar, you know, feeling yeah. of kind of like they have created this thing. And in, in fact, um, Adam, the one of the villains in that season, could very easily be a deviant. It's just a choice of whether you would want to make him the bionic one or the one with animal limbs and stuff grafted onto him because he's a kind of both uh but he's a bunch of different monsters stitched together so you can make someone that is that powerful in deviant but your life is gonna suck like every time that you use a power that's major you're 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 gonna be out of it for a while or it's going to give you the worst headache or you're going to have a wound that won't close you know Mm. like something bad will happen oh riley good clean fun to remember, is that is that the fiction I wrote that where each of the titles was a different punk song? Yes, yeah, that's the fiction uh, that we were talking about a while back yeah. with uh, Spider and Neve. Right, is that is that Neve, her name? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it's really, really good. I like that fiction a lot. We had fun figuring out how we were going to illustrate that for Samaria. But if you look at the Deviant Kickstarter, you can see most of those illustrations and they are fantastic. Nice. I'm very happy with that one. Well, this takes us neatly on to Assassins, a game we haven't Assassins. spoken about much. No, actually. This is and, uh... Oh, um, again, uh, Deviant was requested by Phil Edwards, Aether's Phil. Thank you very much. Can I just say that I like this format because while someone else is talking, I get to sit here and eat chips. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's a format we should use in all episodes. <laughs> <laughs> one of us talks for five minutes, and yeah. then we chat for like two, and then yeah. one of us talks for five minutes. That seems, that seems like a weird format for the overall conversational nature of our podcast. It's, um, you know, it can kind of be like a Beatles breakup thing where we don't actually perform together anymore. We just sort of... <laughs> We just record our little bits in isolation and George Martin stitches them together. We just occasionally just have like, you know, random laughing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. Excellent point, Eddie. Yes. Very astute, Dixie. Various things we would never say. Um, that's not to say Matthew, you're not. That very... was so nice of you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, listeners, he he likes to present himself as some kind of, I don't know, British grump or something. Um, But he really does say very, very nice things and they're deserved. I want everybody to know that. Like, I got red lines on the first project I did from him and they made me, like, tear up because they were so nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, Matthew's very nice and I'm going to blow up a spot and talk about how nice he is. He's a very, very (laughs) kind man. Mm-hmm. He's ruining the heel know, turn, man. <laughs> I don't know why his his persona he's decided to be a bit of a heel, but here we are. <laughs> well, as you were happy to use the term a bit of a heel, uh, I'm all right with you breaking kayfabe and telling people about the real person <laughs> I am behind my uh, my character. Um, no, I, I just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I do it for entertainment purposes. We'll get into the psychoanalysis of Matthew Dawkins and his many online personas in another episode. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, and before then, we're going to get on to Assassins. I should have used the psycho sound effect for, for Assassins, really. But, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I maybe. think it worked just fine for Deviant. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it works. Although really, you should have used it for They Came From Beyond the Grave. Yeah. Yeah. Missed opportunity, or or Hunter the Vigil, or in- <laughs> both of which have slashers in them. Yeah, well, uh, which one should I have used, Wario <laughs> and Waluigi for? Appropriately, <laughs> you just don't. Probably adventure. I think War- Wario, <laughs> may- yeah, <laughs> what adventure? <laughs> and now Eddie, what assassins in three, <laughs> two, one. <laughs> Uh, this has been requested by Josh Heath on Twitter, King Olaf82, so thank you for that. Assassins is, like Matthew mentioned, a game we haven't talked about much because it's still being written right now. Um, and also, it is a newer element of the uh, Trinity Continuum. Um, it was actually pitched uh, uh, by Neil Price um, when he watched a lot of John Wick and played a lot of Hitman. Um, but he actually... The whole idea was that um, what if we had a layer of the modern Trinity Continuum that really dug into these kind of secret assassin subcultures, as it were. Um, and from that, we have some, some actually really cool ideas. Basically, this is uh, a not so much a supplement for core Trinity, but rather kind of a, a reimagining of that core world. It's, it's a little darker. It's a little bleaker. Um, it, it's less of a world where you can solve problems by actually like, you know, trying to 
work with people and get things together and, and, and you know, charity, but rather by strategically murdering people to kind of help make the world a little better place. Um, so a lot of the uh, play in Trinity happens at a path level. Um, there actually are three kinds of society paths in Assassins. Uh, the first one are daylight paths, and these are basically similar to the paths you see in the core. Uh, so Pharaoh's Lightkeepers is going to be pretty much the way you see it in core Trinity. Um, we also have related to those, um, you can have various twilight paths. And twilight paths are illegal paths. Uh, these are paths where it's the gray market. You're doing things that are shady. Um, you're going to be watched by the authorities. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be, uh, you're breaking the law, but it's also not straight out murder. That's, that's your shadow path. Shadow paths are when you're part of a society that is just, you go out and you murder people. And that's pretty much what you do. Um, some of the societies that are new to this book, uh, I'll just give you a few of them. Uh, one is called like the Swarm, um, which is a derivation of the Yakuza. Uh, you have the uh, Krugruk Verov, which is a variation on the Russian Mafia. Um, and you have the Daughters of the Jacobians, which are kind of an offshoot of the French Revolution. So you can get kind of different iconic takes on classic kind of hitman groups and organizations that you can work for or have come from. And that's another piece of it is that um, one of the things you can pick up is uh, paths that you used to have before, but don't longer have now. Um, so, for example, uh, you can have a path that's called a burned path. It's the path that of a group you used to be part of, but now they will hunt you down and try to kill you. Uh, so if you wanted to play something like a burn notice style game where you used to be part of a group, but now they're your enemy, um, that's something else that you could do with this game, which is something game we haven't really done with any of the Trinity games prior to this. Um, so because it's a game about um, a, a new kind of modern characters, we do have new edges uh, and skill tricks, a lot of which are going to be based around killing people because that's what this game is about. Um, also, there's an entire new chapter of weapon tags uh, that set, if, even if you don't want to play necessarily murder assassins, but more kind of James Bond stuff, um, there's a whole bunch of tags here that make it really easy to add gadgets to existing items. So if you want to have, you know, your gun, but also your gun doubles as a cell phone, um, you can just give it the cell phone tag. And so now it's, it costs like one or two more points, but your gun can now do a completely new thing they couldn't do before. And it's a very elegant, easy way to make kind of those hidden weapons or hidden items, uh, uh, gadgets that are very prevalent in spy fiction and then the kind of the more recent assassin style movies. Um, and it's really, really cool. There's just tons and tons of options in that respect. And of course, we also have uh, example antagonists, um, but there's also a lot of... Uh, uh, what are called mysteries. Um, unlike normal talents where your gifts are luck-based things, um, masteries are actually more, you're just preternaturally good at your job. Uh, so rather than um, the kind of gifts where it's like, you happen to know a person in this place, or uh, you happen to have the right piece of equipment on you, masteries are more, you planned for this moment because you are so good at your job. Uh, so it's a different spin on talents. It still uses uh, inspiration. You can still do things like dramatic editing. Um, but by changing out the kinds of powers you get, it does give a different kind of tone and feel to assassins as opposed to talents, which are much more your characters that always in the right place at the right time, always have the right move, always have the right moments. Um, this is more kind of you, 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 you are really good at it. And of course, a lot of the masteries again, are going to be based around killing people. But this is uh, an idea that we theoretically expand on in other games in the road of being a master of different kinds of skills. So they're really kind of like uh, uh, 
uh, super skill tricks in a lot of ways. Um, and they're, but they're unique to the assassin characters we have. Um, and also, uh, a lot of the game is going to be based around mission-based, um, which is something that we don't really do a ton of. <laughs> what was that? What was that? Uh, oh, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat oh, fatality, okay. yeah. mm. which is nice. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm done. Do you have questions about it? You're done. You're done in this it's town, done. kid. You're done. done, kid. You pack your bag all and I gotta get say, out. All I got to say is that when you um, start talking about a a gun with a cell phone tag. Uh-huh. I was like, that sounds a lot more dangerous than a cell phone with a gun tag. So I just pictured somebody just like holding their revolver up to their ear talking. And I'm like, that, you shouldn't do that. I'm sure I Maybe. have seen videos of people, you know, that's five seconds before a disaster kind of thing that occasionally auto plays on Facebook. Ugh. I can just imagine like, you know, it's the, um, you know, you're inside. It's like holding a gun to your ears. Yeah, let me go outside. I can't really hear you. Get better reception outside and walk out to have the gun to your head. And be like, oh my God, you got the gun. So Eddie, not to put you on the spot, but you now need to come up with a Roger Moore style pun where he is, where he's got his gun phone. It looks like mm. a cell phone <laughs> and an assassin tries to kill him while he's got the phone to his ear. He points it. He obviously has some kind of antenna sticking out of it because it's right. going to be about 20 years ago. And um, and it fires. He's got to make a phone-based pun regarding the man's death. So it could be something... Well, I, I, I've got some ideas, but none of them really work. Well, my, my, I, I feel like... Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was going to say mine would be like, you know, that's to get for shooting your mouth off. Uh, that- See, mine would be he just shoots him and then he goes, sorry, wrong number. Um, oh, there you go. Okay. See, I, I see wrong number as quite born identity, and <laughs> I think shooting your mouth off is a little street, a little more, a little more um, street level assassin than Roger Moore. Fair I think Roger Moore might. I, I was juggling around something like the, the number was engaged, but that doesn't really work. So maybe looks like he got cut off. I like that one. Mm. Yeah, I also feel like he could say something like, you know, sorry, I really must take this call. Oh yes, oh, yeah, That's that good. would be good. Yeah, that wins. That wins. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, he would. He would <laughs> presumably have a companion, a Felix Leiter, or a nebulous Bond girl next to him who would say, "James, what happened?" Is I just have to take the call, or yeah, I really have to take the call. Yeah. Okay. See. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why cell phone with a gun tag is cooler than a gun with a cell phone yeah. tag. Because gun with a cell phone tag is just a gun you can talk to. <laughs> <laughs> like, Which it's still obviously a gun. Yeah, or it could just be an assassin who's very low down that scale of uh, stability. I think who's just started talking to their gun. Uh, <laughs> He's just got someone's just got like a Motorola razor like duct tape to their gun. <laughs> like it's my gun phone. <laughs> It's, it's a flip phone that's taped duct taped to a gun. It's like, I, 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 let me just, oh, I can't, I can't open it up because tape shut. Oh, no. Unfortunately, I am picturing in my head a certain uh, brand of good old Americans, I love your country, who will say, uh, you're not prying this gun out of my hands. Uh, and so to the point that they have cutlery strapped to it, they have their <laughs> phone, a toothbrush. It's like a Swiss army gun. I mean, I'm into Swiss Army Gun. That should be a tag in Assassin's. Swiss Army Gun. <laughs> I will let Monica Specker know. All right. 
I mean, I can let her know. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the book. I just looked up Swiss Army Gun, and let me tell you, these images are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> One of the very first ones is the villain from Fifth Element, because because uh, apparently Swiss Army Gun has has its own TV tropes uh, entry. Oh, okay. Wow. It's a gun that can do a whole bunch of stuff on, on the situation. I could imagine a revolver with a different thing in each uh, in each compartment, you know, for, for the bullets. But you wouldn't want to get the wrong one, would you? If you thought one was your medicine, for instance, or a shot of refreshing <laughs> cognac, and it is, in fact, the only one with a bullet in. Yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah, be I'm putting this. I'm putting this Swiss Army Gun picture in our Discord so you can both see what I'm talking about. Okay. Oh, my God. It's the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm sure the, the listeners will be delighted. It's like this guy has a gun, and then it's got like keys hanging off of it, and uh, <laughs> a bird. Like, I think I think that's a Rolls Royce. Uh, yes, like yeah. Oh yeah. Like the, the the thing at the front of the car, whatever that's called. Put on it. Like a mascot. It's got a flashlight. Mm. It's got it's got an actual like Swiss Army like yeah, that, that, utensil. Yeah, set. that is a Swiss Army it's knife great. on his Swiss Army gun. That's like an inception moment. I think <laughs> I, I'll yeah. I'll try and remember to put that photo on the blog when we post the yeah. episode. I mean, it is clearly photoshopped, but it's just a really funny picture. Yeah, uh, it makes me laugh. So is we're going to make an assassins. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we were talking about assassins. Uh, I'm gonna add so many tags to my gun. I'm gonna make a Swiss Army gun. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm gonna spend all of my points at character creation just adding tags to my gun. Right. <laughs> being like, being like, I am so bad at everything, but I have this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay, so we're on to our final five minute pitch of Wraith the Oblivion 20th Anniversary Edition, and this one's on Speaking me. Speaking of dead people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of dead, but not quite dead enough, uh, we have Wraith the Oblivion in three, two, one. Uh, so I think Wraith the Oblivion classes as my favourite World of Darkness game. There's a few I would go back on, backwards and forwards on every now and then, but Wraith is generally the one at the top. Uh, because it is an incredibly emotive game that handles subject matter that most people in the real world are or will at some point be familiar with, uh, that being death. And it's by no means, as a result, a miserable game. I think that's a misconception to do with Wraith the Oblivion. In fact, I would say it's one of the most optimistic World of Darkness games simply because it's a game where second chances are a very real thing. Uh, in Wraith, you play generally the recently dead, uh, people who died with either unfinished business, uh, maybe something left unsaid, or maybe they were just uh, killed in a manner that came as a surprise, and for whatever reason, their spirit can't move on to the great beyond. Uh, whatever follows the underworld in Wraith is completely unknown to all Wraiths, because is this afterlife? If it is, where is everyone else? And if it isn't, what comes after? No one knows because no one comes back from that. What they do know is there is a aspect to reality known as oblivion which appears for intents and purposes to be a black hole of a uh, plane of nothingness and uh, entering oblivion again is a good way of never returning so wraiths exist in these underworlds these necropoli the shadowlands the sort of film between our world and the land of the dead and uh, they try and make a society there and in that regard it's 
arguably unique among the World of Darkness games. I guess there's some changing aspects that do the same thing, but in the sense that wraiths have a society that is distinct from mortal society, whereas vampires, mages, and werewolves, and hunters, and demons overlap uh, mortal society at all times, Wraith while they can interfere with the mortal world they can pass through the gauntlet and puppeteer humans, uh, uh, gremlin their way around devices and uh, make their presence known either in hostile or benevolent ways, they also have an entire civilization of their own in the land of the dead and it's quite a macabre civilization uh, because the main currency in the underworld of Wraith the Oblivion are aboli, and aboli are made of forged souls. Uh, some wraiths, when they are transported through, when they die, are snagged by the hierarchy of the underworld, and they are cut up, reforged, and turned into coins. Every single device, every single piece of technology, anything that is not a spirit or a reflection of something very potent from the other world, uh, as an example, a church of great meaning in a town that burned down at one point may, st may well still be in the underworld as a reflection. Everything else is made from these forged souls, so there's a fate worse than death, most certainly. Uh, the most appealing aspect of Wraith the Oblivion, however, for me, is the wonder that exists in the underworld. You have an entire world or plane to explore. Everything from other necropoli, where there are other civilizations have gone to die, uh, all the way through to the far shores, where wraiths of significant power have effectively set up their own afterlife uh, that befits their idea of what the afterlife should be, whether it is heaven or hell. Uh, it depends on what they believe. So if you sail across the Tempest, a roiling sea of oblivion that separates the necropoli, you may eventually reach one of these far shores that are like tropical islands in the ocean, a constantly raging ocean, and those far shores may well be heaven for you, they may well be hell, uh, but they will be completely distinct from where you've come. And as mentioned, you can interact with the Skinlands, the world of the living as well. It isn't a game where you're going to aspire to return to life. That doesn't happen. Uh, it is a game where you can create incredibly in-depth in characters if you want, or shallow ones that gather depth as the game goes on and fulfill satisfying goals as players that are deeply personal and resonant to those characters and sometimes the players as well. thing I should mention is every wraith has a shadow, like a dark voice uh, whispering in their ear that wants them to succumb to oblivion, generally played by another player or the storyteller. doesn't have to be. And some people find this mechanic controversial or difficult to juggle. They have to trust their group to use it. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's Wraith the Oblivion. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Yes. Mm. Uh, when talking with people a lot of times, um, I hear that Wraith is, a, they find it really hard or very intimidating to run. Um, so you mentioned before it's your favorite game. Uh, what would you suggest to people if they wanted to run a game of Wraith? What kinds of things do you think about um, so there's a couple of ways. Uh, the simplest way of initiating a Wraith the Oblivion game is having everybody die in the same event, uh, right. whether that be a plane right. crash or something like that, or, you know, a big fire. Um, I don't... I think that can work just to hook people onto the game, but I don't think it's a good establishment for a setting. Um, 
because having different characters establish their own means and manners of death uh, is and role-playing each of them is a very good way to make someone invested in not just who they are, but also the mortals they were connected to when they were alive. So that that's one way. Another way is to do what I've just suggested. Have them all in the same area while something is happening. One of my favourite uh, jump starts that I run for Wraith the Oblivion is set during the... Uh, let's see. I guess it's, um, yeah, it's, it's in Soviet Russia. Uh, during some rebellions in Red Square, and the different characters are placed around St. Petersburg in, um, uh, or Moscow, I should say, in um, in different aspects, different walks of life. They all have different backgrounds, but due to the events that are occurring in the city, there are a lot of deaths, incidental or otherwise. One of them might die of old age, one of them has just been released from the gulag and sees the person they love for the first time in 20 years, and when they see them across the crowd, their heart gives out, and they're never able to say to that person they love them. Another person is trampled by a stampede of people who are panicked by some soldiers that let off their guns. But you set it all in the same area, in the same time frame, they all come through, and in a very Beetlejuice, bureaucratic, underworld kind of a way, they're all processed at the same time. Uh, that mm. automatically binds them into a circle, which is the, I guess, communal uh, grouping uh, that exists in Wraith the Oblivion. And from there, you let them, just like in Vampire, uh, get introduced to the society of wraiths around them, uh, level by level. Don't dump it on them all the way from the top. Just do it, you know, layer by layer until the, it, to see if they're even interested in the political side, or if they're more interested in the personal side, which I, I find most players are. Um, so I, it's much like I do with most games that I run. I try and make it character focused, and I think if you Wraith the Oblivion does have a fantastic setting. Don't get me wrong. But mm. I think the hook for players has got to be personal to really make the game work uh, because it is so distinct from other World of Darkness games. If you get them in on the personal level, then you can sort of feed in aspects of the uh, Wraith the Oblivion setting and see what they uh, clamp onto. Now, here's my question. Yeah. Because of the way that uh, Wraith 20 specifically is set up, can you do like... 30 second to one minute pitch on Orpheus. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the same book. I'm always like, it's always weird because it's like, I know it, it was a separate game. People refer to it as a separate game, but for all intents and purposes in Wraith 20, it's part of the book. Okay. Uh, so Orpheus is a game where you are playing members of the living for the most part who are able to transfer their spirits out of their body and into the underworld or into the remnants of the underworld or into our world, but as uh, essentially bodiless uh, souls wandering around being able to interfere with things. Uh, the Orpheus group is a covert operation group, spying, surveillance, things like that. Uh, it starts off incredibly, to go back to that noir um, side of things, uh, very much like a private investigator's office. They look into things like affairs, into uh, fraud, you know, very uh, mm -hmm. working class level crimes, I guess you could say. Uh, but the way Orpheus works is the deeper and deeper you go into it, the more and more you get associated with the Wraith the Oblivion side of things, which involves um, spectres and wraiths of great power. 
So Orpheus is almost approaching Wraith the Oblivion from the living side of things uh, mm-hmm. and does act as a nice parallel to the game to the point that you can have crossover very easily. Uh, and it's something I've never really heard of many people doing, but you can have Orpheus agents uh, interacting with Wraiths and working alongside them pretty easily. Uh and right. I, I imagine the reason people didn't do that is because Orpheus was released after Wraith the Oblivion wound up initially. And so right. since then, the only time they've appeared in the same space is in Wraith 20. But I think uh, it would really be an interesting chronicle to have members of both, uh, I, I guess, both origins uh, working together. Yeah, I just think the Orpheus agents are really cool as either, um, you know... NPCs that, that the Wraith player characters encounter, or yeah, even having one person at the table play an, a person from the Orpheus you know, group. Yeah. I think it's cool. No, I no, know. I do as well. I, I, I think it's an excellent idea, and I would love to hear of more people doing it. And, well, next time that you run a Wraith game, Matthew, I will play an Orpheus person for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, shout out to Bear on Twitter for asking that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't really go into what is so special about Wraith 20, um, so I know we need to wind up soon, but I would just like to say that uh, Wraith is a game that, I wouldn't say got truncated, it finished a pretty natural point in its initial run, but of all the 20th anniversary books, I think it is the one that benefits most from the 20th anniversary edition, because it updates the rules. Uh, it only got to second edition, whereas most of the other World of Darkness games got a third edition before um, right. their time of judgments arrived. Um, and it, it actually starts handling wraiths from the perspective of we understand as writers that not everyone could, I guess, grok how to start a game of this. So right. it it repositions it to the way that I've just described from the more personal point of view rather than from the hierarchy, the renegades, the heretics and things like that that are all deeply embedded in the setting. Uh, it's also an incredibly beautiful book. Uh, I, I completely love the art in Wraith 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was pretty rare to get colour art for Wraith the Oblivion in the 90s. So having that much colour art in Wraith 20 is a real treat. Yeah. I love it. Love it so much. <laughs> well, I think that's us done. Uh, anything else we want to say? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. I thought about it. Okay, in that case, Dixie, I do have one last thing that you could say, and that is where to find you online. You can find me at DixieCochran.com or DixieCyanide on most social media. And Eddie? You can find me at UggSteady.com or you can find me through there on my social media accounts. And you can find me on MatthewDawkins.com or at ClackClickBang on Twitter. And as I mentioned on the last episode, do check out TheOnyxPath.com. Also look up the Path Discord if you are hankering from a, for a game or for people to speak to gaming about... God, that was a badly structured sentence, wasn't it? <laughs> um, about which to, to whom speak of games with. Um... <laughs> The guy's got a writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, better as a writer than a public speaker. Uh, the Onyx Path Discord is linked in the show notes below, so please do join us if you want to join an online game. And with that said, many worlds on Pathcast.